agnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government hug the government love. The government hug the government love. The government Welcome to The Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a professor of political science at Northern Kentucky University. I'm joined today by my conservative counterpart, Cleveland area attorney, Jay Carson. Good morning, Mike. Hey, Jay, how are you doing today? Well, I'll tell you, it's it's one of those days where it's uh, difficult to ascertain if I'm uh, apparently successful or not. <laughs> um, but um uh, <laughs> It's just, you, know, you just don't know some days. Some days. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, on uh, Before we get to everything that we're going to be talking about today, and there's quite a lot we have to talk about, I want to mention that on my other newish podcast, Politics Makes Me Sick, I, I, I got into a lot this week, uh, coastal elites, rigged politics, uh, my argument for Donald Trump's honesty, of all things, uh, the Declaration of Independence, economic inequality, capital punishment, abortion, education, progressive taxation, and then I fit in my plan to run for the United States Senate and start a new American political party. And Jay, that was just, I think- That was all just last week? You know, 12 minutes and seven seconds. It was a whirlwind tour through uh, all kinds of stuff. And you know, I've already gotten a lot of questions including from you about, you know, this insanely ambitious thing. Why don't I just run for city council or something like that? And I should say in my city of Cincinnati, there are plenty of openings now. One third of the city council this year has been indicted on federal corruption charges. So, you know, but the reason is that I'm trying to draw as much attention possible to what I see as really the enormous flaws in both of our main political parties and to try to create an alternative. And that's not the sort of message you can run on as, you know, a city council candidate or a county commissioner or something like that. And I guess more than anything else, my goal is to try to do more than just talk about the sad state of American politics, which you and I have been doing for, for years now. I want to participate in the You sad know, state yeah, to, to really try <laughs> to do something more. And, you know, podcasts and books, I think, on, on political reforms and all that are great, but they're sort of inherently limited. And I just want to at least take a crack at moving past these limits. And so, you know, I hope that people who agree with me that American politics is in a bad place will at least listen to some of my ideas and and let me know, you know, good, bad or indifferent what you think. And, you know, you can find the show. It's politicsmakesmesick.com or just, you know, search for it on your podcast app. And I would really appreciate uh, any feedback that you have. So. There you go. Well, I salute your civic engagement and uh, uh, wish you the, the the best of luck in this. And um, um, we'll be talking about it and hearing a lot about it as as we go forward. Absolutely. So, okay. Well, with that, Jay, why don't we get to the matter at hand? And of course, yeah, our, so go ahead. So our our, our first uh, uh, story today uh, is the um, sort of the same story that we we've, we've been looking at for two weeks as to. Uh, who won this election and and when will it uh, when will it officially be called? Uh, Trump's um, uh, ability to contest some of these votes uh, in in court in different states his his options are narrowing. I'm not going to go through the entire list, um, but it's not looking good. Uh, there was a I think a one editorial writer put it sort of pithily that the fat lady maybe hasn't sung yet, but she's she's clearing her throat. Um, uh, in the midst of this, uh, Rudy Giuliani uh, held a news conference on on uh, Thursday that that uh, might best be described as as just plain nuts. Um, 
uh, alleging a, a vast conspiracy to steal the election um, uh, by uh, Democrats. Uh, and and it's again, we'll talk in a second the strangeness of, of this. Um, uh, and then the the other strange piece, uh, Trump called some Michigan lawmakers to meet with him at the White House, uh, ostensibly to uh, try to make the argument that, look, Michigan was stolen. Therefore, uh, the state legislature ought to just assign uh, electors uh, to me. Uh, as of this morning, the response uh, from those Michigan lawmakers was, uh, no, we don't think anything in Michigan is going to change. Um, uh, so with that, um, Mike, what, what do you think happens uh, happens next? Um uh, in terms of of how uh, how this gets officially sealed in the books, and the the other piece I forgot to mention, of course, is is uh, we're coming up on these certification deadlines. Georgia has already certified uh, its vote count. Uh, the Trump administration has sought to block certification in Michigan. Um, it's it's doubtful that that will happen. Um, what's up next, Mike? Well, what's up next is what everyone expects to be up next is that the states will the states will all certify and then the Electoral College will will and they'll send their send their results in. The Electoral College will meet and Joe Biden will win with the will, will be certified as the winner of the election with 306 electoral votes. And that's what every everyone who's not buying into insane conspiracy theories knows. And uh you know, Jay, I, I never thought – well, I, it's weird for me to say this, these words coming out of my mouth, but I agree with Tucker Carlson. This is not a sentence I, I would – I was going to point out Tucker Carlson later you know? yes. Tucker, Tucker Carlson, <laughs> Go ahead. yeah, this week uh, argued that if the claims of the, the uh, Sidney Powell and, and uh, Rudy Giuliani and, and the Trump team are correct, this would constitute the greatest crime in American history. Right. The, the stealing of a presidential election. And, and I, I certainly agree with that. And then he went on to say, of course, given this extraordinary claim, evidence, actual evidence needs to be uh, put up. And uh, the Trump team has failed to do that in any forum. Right. And so but what that means, then, it seems to me, is that if you argue that attempting to steal an election is the greatest crime in American history, then you have to look at what the Trump team is doing. And therefore, it seems to me you can turn that argument around and say, well, what they are doing is attempting the greatest crime in American history. And maybe it's a, not maybe it's clearly a, a sad and pathetic attempt, but that makes it no less uh, a great crime. In fact, I think you can argue and I think it's a it's a strong argument that this is the worst thing that Donald Trump has done in his entire life. And that's no small statement. That's a lot of stuff. Um, well, first of all, I would also add, I think that the Tucker Carlson uh, uh, piece, he, I mean, he went on to say, uh, listen, we, we'd invite, you know, Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani onto the show. We'll give them the entire hour. We'll give them an entire week. Yeah. Um, you know, tell us what you've got. Uh, and, and then uh, Tucker Carlson um, got uh, sort of, you know, the show kept trying to contact these folks and got an angry call back from Sidney Powell's people saying, quit bugging us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, which is, uh, you know, if you've, if you've lost Tucker Carlson, you know, I, I think the, the fat lady is singing at this point. Um, so now, now whether what, what Trump is doing is, is the worst crime ever, it's, it's one of the worst things he's ever done because I think it, um, well, well, two things. Let me let me back up because I I, I think I want to draw some lines here because I, I think it's completely legitimate 
to challenge uh, things in court where you have some evidence to indicate that there was some irregularities, there were some shenanigans, there was some malarkey. Um, Absolutely. And and I think there's some of those some of those cases. And we we talked about this a couple weeks ago. And Ken and I actually agreed that yes, there's you know for example, um, uh, observers weren't allowed to be where they were supposed to be, and there's a factual dispute over that and all that. But but look, that's a legit claim. Now, does it does it uh, invalidate an election? No. Uh, does it change any votes? No, because you need that the extra piece of well, we couldn't observe, and we also think that X Y Z happened. Um, there are things like uh, in the uh, uh, Georgia recount, uh, you know, they found sort of a whole other precinct uh, uh, for uh, that contained essentially a net Trump votes of about 1500 that had not been recorded. uh, And it's apparently just a matter of human error. Um, But it was something like, it was something about, I want to say it was like 2,500 votes uh, and I could have the numbers wrong, but the the Trump increase would have been 1500. And look, that's, that's not nothing. Um, And, and again, whether it's fraud or whether it's human error, uh, it's important to look at these things to get it right uh, in order to to have confidence in the system. Um, so I, I think it's it's worth noting that in a lot of these these cases, the court cases, um, the pleadings have been much more circumspect than the stuff that Giuliani's putting out. Um, they have focused on well, we think there's some errors here. We think there you know procedures were not properly followed here. Uh, absentee ballots were perhaps not um, uh, segregated as they're supposed to be. Um, all, all that I think is is good, and I think it's actually good for democracy to challenge that, right? Because you you want to have a a clean election, and uh, uh, challenging these things makes them less likely to happen the next time. Um, put systems in place to fix it. Uh, all that said. I, Ken and I also agreed that look, there's there's nothing that you can tell from these cases, the actual court cases, which again are kind of falling like dominoes. Um, that even if successful, there the numbers are there to to change the outcome. Um, so I I mean I I think sometimes that that troubles me a little bit to when things get painted with too broad a brush, right? And that's why Giuliani is is so singularly uh, unhelpful. Um, is that that he sort of derails uh, all the you know what might be legitimate um, issues, and then anytime you, you it's it's boy who cried wolf, right? Uh, or it's it's Joe McCarthy, um, you know you sort of uh, lose lose the you know then anytime you say well wait a minute I think we need to take a look at it uh, that's oh it's just the Giuliani conspiracy theory, but you know again all that said the Giuliani com- press conference was was just plain, you know, bonkers. Well, you know, let, let's, I, I would say bonkers, certainly, and, and not just for, you know, optics and hair dye or whatever related issues. But, but you know, I think it's, it's easy to, when we, when we think of these terms, you can say bonkers or nuts or so forth. But what it is, is more than anything else, it's disgraceful. And, you know, we should call it what it is. When you have Trump's campaign attorney, Sidney Powell, saying President Trump won by a landslide, which yeah. is a bald-faced lie. And and we have we have repeated people who are, who are representing President Trump saying things that are just outlandish lies. That that now of course I can't I can't prove that, but, but the burden of proof. If you say that this is right, the right, greatest right. crime yeah. perpetrated in American history, and you offer just some weird theory about Hugo Chavez, and, you know, you know, yeah, whatever. 
I mean, that's like me saying that you're a Martian and I can't prove that you're, you can't prove that you're not maybe, but, and so this to me is, is despicable. And I think that's, it's especially maybe Donald Trump in some weird way actually believes he won. I don't know, but it is, it is impossible for me, Jay, to believe that all these people surrounding the president believe that these are legitimate cases and legitimate theories of what happened. And so what that means then is that they have made, they have made a conscious, rational, in their right minds decision to, to tell these massive lies, to subvert, to try to attempt to subvert democracy in the most fundamental way for some sort of, I don't know what, personal power motive or something like that. And, and our reaction to that shouldn't be laughing it off. It should be utter disgust and contempt, shouldn't it? See, I I think well, I, I think you know maybe maybe my system's just calibrated differently. Cause, and almost in I'll tell you in my in my view, saying it's it's just absolutely bonkers is is sort of worse than saying it's uh, malicious and lying and all that because it's right. I mean, it, it I don't I don't I don't think anyone actually you know again Tucker Carlson. Let, let me let me stop you there because I want to respond to that point especially. There've been multiple poll polls now that show that, you know, 70% or more of Trump voters believe that this election was illegitimate and that Donald Trump was the rightful winner and that's that's around 51 million Americans or so. If those right. polls are and so this isn't just well no one believes this stuff. There are tons of people who believe this stuff and that so, yeah, on, on one level, I agree with you. This is just sad and pathetic almost more than anything else. Rudy Giuliani, it's just, I don't know, maybe he's he must be deeply concerned with, I don't know, something. He seems like a truly damaged man. But more than that, it's the damage that they're doing to the uh, to the American electorate, to people who want to believe this stuff and are given yeah. a reason to do so because the president and so many people around him are spouting this garbage. See, to, to me, and again, maybe this is, this is just a, a mindset thing. Um, but I, th I think the, I, I think the, the better response, the more powerful response uh, is derision rather than outrage. Right. I and see I what you're that, saying. Again, sure. No, just, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Just the, the way I, I look at it. it. It's not like, um, uh, you know, I, I am outraged that the Rudy Giuliani is, is, I mean, it's, it's almost because it, it's, again, it's gets to the point of like, it's, it's sort of tough to be outraged when it's, it's so just laughable and goofy. Right. So you'd be outraged um, if it had a better chance of succeeding. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, does that make sense? Yeah, no, um, I get what you're saying. And I, and yeah. I, think, so no. that's what I mean, I think the, the better criticism, um, is I look, I think the better criticism is not you lie. It's you're crazy. I mean, that's um, so, but again, I, I know I get where you're coming from and I, and I, I get the, um, yeah, the, the, the outrage, uh, angle. I, I, I think that most people aren't buying it. And I'm not sure you know, again, you've got the, the poll numbers that say that certainly some are and tens I, of millions. I, yeah. Are. And that's not nothing. Right. Well, let me ask um, you this. Well, I, I guess, you know, I, I guess I'd, I'd have to, you know, look at, at the poll and how it's conducted and, and who they ask and what the questions are. Because like I said, if, if you asked me, uh, was there voter fraud in, uh, the 2020 election, I'd say, of course absolutely. there was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, sure. There always you know, is. So if, if you're taking that now, you know, um, but if if you ask me, did President Trump actually win by a landslide? I would say no. That's crazy. See, this this is this is well. 
this is the problem I have with you, Jay. Uh, you are a you are a decent, intelligent, and rational person, and I think you make oftentimes you make the mistake of assuming that. All Americans are more or less like you, and they're just not, Jay. They're they're not. They're a lot more manipulable. They're a lot more, uh, you know, I don't know what the word you want to use. And so I wish more people were like you. It would certainly be a, a better country in a lot Indeed. of ways. But that's not the case, sadly, and that is my main concern. You know, another thing I wanted to ask you about, this is an aspect of this we haven't really gotten to, is what a lot of people are calling Republican complicity, and not just people like you – you know, Barack Obama, who said that Republicans are just intimidated by the president. People that I know you respect, like Kevin Williamson, like Jonah Goldberg, you know, conservative columnists who you hit, you, you know, I mean, right. just this week, Kevin Williamson said, you know, what does what does the Republican Party stand for aside from kooky conspiracy theories? Well, maybe not much at this point. Or, you know, Jonah Goldberg saying, uh, calling uh, the RNC hosting this event, just uh, that that uh, Giuliani did this thing, just a hate crime against democratic legitimacy and the GOP social media accounts spewing out all this stuff. So what is your, what's your reaction to that? Because these are not, I mean, these are people who have a little more distance. They're not the president's attorneys who are yeah. hired to make a case for him and by any means possible, I guess, throwing ethics out the window. This is the Republican Party establishment. Well, I think you're seeing a lot of the party establishment, though, saying, no, that there's there's no evidence of this. Or they're taking a position saying, look, uh, OK, if uh, then then show me the evidence. And, and you've got folks that that um, uh, again, the secretary of state of, of, of Georgia is a Republican and did the recount and certified the results uh, and, and has said this is you know, this is what it is. And there's no evidence of of fraud and and yeah there was there was missing votes but it looks like that was the uh, again human error um and i, I think you've got uh, other uh, you know republican office holders the the folks he called down from michigan who said look no we're not interested in any of this kind of nonsense um uh, I, and i i'm, I'm my, my mind's blanking on some of the other senators. I think Mitt Romney has been, yep. um, you know, uh, vocal, uh, if not if not on the election piece, but on the next piece, we'll talk about the transition, right? I think there have been a number of Republican senators who said, look, this is nonsense. You got to move forward with the transition uh, briefing and planning and, and uh, letting up, open up the, the money for the transition. Um, you know, I think there's been some a broad response there. Uh, uh, so... Now, as far as the RNC hosting, I, I I don't know what the how all that played out, right? Um, look, I, I suppose if if uh, if I'm the uh, RNC and I get a call um, from the president's campaign saying, "Hey, you know, we need somewhere to to hold a press conference. Rudy, Rudy Giuliani is going to say some stuff. Uh, can we do it in front of your building?" Um, I think you know probably the answer is yeah. Uh, sure. I don't know whether they say, "Well, let me see a script first." Um, one, I think, had they asked, uh, they would have said there, there isn't one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're and, just making it up as we go along. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it may well be. We we don't know what the hell he's going to say. Um, so, I mean, I'm I'm willing to kind of give them a little bit of a pass there. Uh, you know, for saying, hey, listen, the, the you know candidate of your party's you know yeah. lawyer wants to make a speech. Can we use your sidewalk? Um, now, I think they may think twice uh, next time they get one of those requests. Um, right, uh, but. Well, what do you think about, for instance, we haven't talked about this yet, about the Donald Trump firing Christopher Krebs? So was uh, was that uh, 
was that a legitimate or reasonable move or, you know, because I, I, I guess certainly Krebs has pushed back very hard on President Trump's lies about the election and the integrity of the election. And so and he, by all reports, expected to be fired. And I kind of wanted to get your take on that as well, because the, earlier in the week, that certainly you know got a lot of people's attention before the Giuliani Powell press conference craziness. Yeah, I you know, look, it's um it's it's Trump being Trump. Um I I think it's it's certainly a a, a bad decision. Um uh I, I again, is he within his rights to fire him? I think probably, but um you know, it it, it I think it it undercuts it undercuts the Trump's credibility even further when it's it's one of these I'm going to you know, if there's a critic uh I'm going to 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 get rid of them. Um uh, so yeah, I I don't know that it's um yeah. Did yeah, I mean again, I I do I do I see this as a as a gross abuse of power? Uh no, do I see it as as petty and stupid? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we can we can you agree know, on that for sure. Guys. Yeah. Do do you think that I mean because I think both of us agree that there's an extraordinarily high probability that on January 20th Joe Biden will be inaugurated as the 46th president. Do you think Donald Trump will be there? I do. Wow. I do. You do. I, I've, okay. I've said this before and I'm I'm going to I'm going to keep saying it and look I may be completely wrong. Um and everyone can say that. But I think once this all plays out, um I think he will make a point of being the most gracious um uh former president uh who whose election was stolen. Um <laughs> you know, it's going to be the greatest transition ever. Uh it's going to be a beautiful transition. Um all all of that. Uh, wow. I, I just think, I, I my reading of that is 180 degrees the opposite, because that would to me, that would be Donald Trump admitting in some way that he was a loser. And I think he. No, just, no, no. I, no, no. I, I don't think he'd admit. He'd, I, I think it would be I think it would be something like, look, even though this election was absolutely stolen, it was completely fraudulent and I'm the real president. I'm so gracious that I'm going to hand over power to Joe Biden for the good of America. It, I, and I, I, I get what you're saying, yeah, and that's, that's something that's, that you would do, maybe. But I can't think of a single instance in my life, in his life, in his public life, of Donald Trump being what anyone would call gracious. And so, to me, that is just entirely out of character for the man. I don't expect him to be there. I would not be surprised if there's some amount of violence just before, at, or shortly after. Joe Biden's inauguration. That would not surprise me at all. I hope I'm wrong about that. But uh yeah. no, the, the violence thing would, would surprise me very much. Um I, I would put it this way. Um if if you were to give uh Trump a, a choice, say, listen, Mr. President, uh, would you like to be on TV or not be on TV? Uh he will pick be on TV. Uh I, I'm, I'm I'm just about I'm just about positive, right? See, I could see him holding a press conference broadcast by, I don't know, One America News Network or something like that at the same time, and then talking same and lying about president. the audience of 200,000 that he had, or with 20 million, or eight, 800 really billion. Or, yeah, exactly. But uh, let me, a more substantive question. What do you see as the effect of this on American politics going forward? Because to me, it seems like, okay, the, the positive case maybe is Donald Trump's an outlier, but I see him as remaining a Republican kingmaker, and I expect that either he'll run in 2024, assuming that he's healthy enough or, you know, and I don't think he's going to 
going to prison or anything like that. Most of the things he's, things he's being charged with are civil things. But I think that whomever emerges from the Republican primaries is more than likely to be in his mold because that's the sort of thing that I think primaries reward, you know? So I see like a, a Ron DeSantis, a Ted Cruz, a Tom Cotton, maybe even a Tucker Carlson. Those are the people I think who are going to be more likely to really engage with the people who got Donald Trump the nomination and, 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 Darn near got him a second term as president. So I don't see, you know, someone like a Nikki Haley, a, a Marco Rubio, or a, I don't know, a Ben Sass being able to do that. I, I think that at least in the near term future, we might not get Donald Trump, but we're going to get Trump light or Trump 2.0. Yeah, but I would I would I think there's a a pretty big gap between even, say, a, a Ted Cruz and a Donald Trump. Right. I mean, uh, Cruz, and you can say what you, you will for him, but it's he's got a here is my my consistent ideological platform. Um, you may disagree with it, but, um, um, you know, uh, uh, again, <laughs> like the, the line from the, the Big Lebowski, you know, you say what say what you will about the tenets of national socialism. It, at least it's an ethos. Um, but that but, maybe you know, makes him more dangerous. Is what is I guess because well, if you no, I, if he I mean, takes the the populist authoritarian lessons from Donald Trump and is able to integrate those with much more discipline, well then that's that that could be potentially even worse because Donald Trump has regularly been his own worst enemy. I mean, I I, I tend to think that if Donald Trump had been even ten percent less Trump, despite everything that's gone on, he would probably be getting ready to serve his second term. Oh no, I, I agree. But I, I again, I, the people you're talking about are still uh, uh, traditional politicians, right? They're they're folks who went through that sort of training and ran for office. And and uh, I mean, Cruz, for example, was a Supreme Court clerk. Um, you know, they they as was as was uh, Hawley. Um, you know, they 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 come through that. You know, as much as they're as much as they like to portray themselves as outsiders, there's not they're not as outside as Donald Trump was. I think maybe the difference here is it's possible that you have a, a kind of fundamentally a better opinion of national office seekers or, or national politicians who've been successful than I do. I I used to think that they were fundamentally good people, but I don't I don't believe that anymore. I believe that most of them are, are many of them are deeply damaged in, in, in significant ways. And they have a, a problematic, to say the least, lust for power. And if they see a path to power, they will pursue that path to power and use whatever self-serving justifications help them sleep at night and feel, make them feel good about themselves. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's why well, I'm I mean, saying that Ted Cruz I mean, would say, question, "Hey, look, this worked for Donald." I, I didn't think the question was, "Are are, they, are these good people?" I mean, I think they, um, the question was, who, do, "Who did I think, or you know, what did I think they would they sure. would you know react, or, or you know, would they follow the Trump mold?" Um, look, I, as 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 a conservative, I, I think I mean you just sort of laid out the you know one of the basic tenets of conservatism, right? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So I, you know, no, I, I absolutely agree, and that the, yeah, people who are in the national spotlight and seeking higher office, uh, yeah, they're they're there because they're they're uh, uh, hungry for power, and um, you know, some are better than others, and and some that that hunger is tempered by 
something else, uh, uh, be it religion, be it uh, civic, uh, you know, yeah. a feeling of civic duty, uh, you know, whatever. But, um, uh, you know, I, I, I would I would tend to agree that, you know, look, this is, you know, politics ain't ain't beanbag. So, you know, you mentioned earlier, you mentioned the transition, which I think is yeah. uh, another kind of relate, very closely related thing, obviously, we wanted to get into. And, and yeah, so, so now, and actually, I'm supposed to be, you know, like, moving from topic to topic, but I'm I'm not good at that. And I, I just, I get stuck yeah, on we one. Could, yeah, but, we figure but, it but, out. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, the other big news we're, we're, we're discussing, the, the related is um, the refusal or the, I don't know if it's refusal, a, a just sort of decline to act of the uh, General Service Administration uh, in releasing funds uh, and officially starting the presidential transition. Transact, uh, transition. Uh, there was a, a, a statute passed in 1963, uh, the a presidential uh, transition act, uh, which allocates money for uh, transition teams uh, and sets up sort of just the basics of moving people in and out, the HR process uh, of of you know getting people vetted and security cleared and and uh, uh, so forth. Um, related to that is is uh, obviously the uh, intelligence briefings for the incoming president and vice president. Um, and and at this point, the director of the GSA uh, has uh, the declined to release those funds. Um, the act says that you need to release them uh, once the director determines that the uh, has ascertained the most. Oh, my gosh, I have this in front of me now. Um, I'll, I'll read it here. The terms president elect and vice president elect as used in this act shall mean such persons as are the apparent successful candidates for the office of the president and vice president, respectively, as ascertained by the administrator. Apparently successful. That's what I was looking yep. for. Um, so, you know, give, given that, uh, I, I take it you're you're going to uh, believe that the, or say the GSA has acted inappropriately by not. Um, uh, declaring Joe Biden uh, apparently successful. Well, I, I, I would hate to be <laughs> Emily Murphy. I, 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 look, I will start by saying uh, he appears successful to me. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I would like I said, I would hate to be Emily Murphy. Um, I, it seems to me that this we've talked about this before, this idea between law and custom or tradition. And oftentimes when you try to write a law that takes into account every possible contingency. It's a bad, awful, incredibly wordy sort of law that ends up creating more problems than it solves. And so I think when the Presidential Transition Act was, uh, was written and was signed into law, there was sort of an implicit assumption that once the winner was apparent, the loser would concede as a losers as losers have essentially almost always done within a week or within really within a day or so. I mean, you look at 1960, a great example, right? A super close election and a lot more credible evidence of fraud uh, than uh, than certainly in this election. But, right. you know, Richard Nixon conceded the next day. To, yeah. to John Kennedy. And when he could have, I think, made a pretty good case for fighting on there. And that's, you know, that's generally been the, uh, you have to go back to 1916 for uh, a delay in a concession this long. Charles Evans Hughes, Charles Evans Hughes took two weeks to actually finally say, you know, Woodrow Wilson, yeah, you, you, you won, I concede. And so I think you have to understand that background. I don't think it was ever 
considered that a president would have clearly lost or, or a candidate would have clearly lost and he would just say, you know what, I'm just not going to concede. Yeah. No, I, wow. I think you're, no, I, I, I agree with you 100% on that. I think this is a matter of no one would have seen this coming. Um, that, I mean, that said, I mean, I'm, I, I look at this as, um, I, I think it's the, probably the better practice uh, for not having essentially the GSA declare a presidential winner, right? That that troubles me a little bit. Well, um, again, it, the, it, the precedent it, it could set. Yeah, it's not so, it's it's not troublesome as long as the loser concedes, which the loser right, almost right. always does. And so yeah. there have been well, in, in 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 the way it, it's worked. I mean, the closest time that this happened before, obviously, was was Bush and Gore. And what happened was the GSA administrator said, look, I can't tell uh, at this point. Um, and then after the Supreme Court ruled, uh, Gore conceded, you know, it, it was like yeah. that that day or the next day, GSA said, yes, here, yeah. you know, OK, because, you know. yeah, there was a re there was real doubt. It was, you know, like yeah. 537 votes and a very close sort of in this. They saw it's not this. So, you know, it, it seems to me. That in this situation where even though it's clear to everyone except for a small group of, you know, like those like those Japanese after World War II on the island there fighting away, that that the only clarif legal clarification that would make sense would be something like uh, concession of the uh, of the candidate or certification of state votes totaling yeah. 270 or more electoral the electors, votes. Yeah. The electors meet next month. I mean, I think at that point, yeah. there's a, a bright line that you can say, listen, the Electoral College has met and they've selected a president. So apparently that's yeah, I, I think. Um, but of course, but the, I, you the know, do, I mean, I guess do, do you, do you see my point. Uh, yeah. The, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But because the problem yeah. here, let's say you have a statute like that. But then let's say the Libertarian Party candidate decides I'm not going to concede and launches legal challenges. Well, then maybe by the statute, then the, the election is still in doubt, and you can't. That's, this is the problem that you run into when you rely on kind of what's it called black letter law and all of this stuff, as opposed to assuming at least to a certain extent that people behave like decent human beings. Yeah. Well, well keep in mind though, it, it's not it's not necessarily that the elections in doubt. It's whether right. certain funds can be released, and there's there's a procedure, and it's it's followed you know fairly commonly too where you know the the incoming president can use uh campaign funds for a transition pending um uh you know the uh, uh, gsa open up its its purse yeah, no, um, but the bigger I think it's like everybody's talking about the gsa this is this is probably like the the unsexiest government agency you know ever it's like it's like literally if the, the question is how many government employees does it take to change a light bulb at the post office that's the GSA is like the, the people who would handle that. Yep. Um, uh, and it's, it's one of those. Yeah. So if, if people do don't follow this stuff, yeah, GSA is sort of the general general services administration and, and what they do are general services like taking care of federal properties. And, um, you know, if the, if, if the uh, thermostats on the fritz at the social security office, uh, you call the GSA. And again, they do general sort of the HR stuff. Um uh, and, and, and then sort of also they're sort of now being injected into this, um, uh, naming a president. So that's, I mean, the bigger problem is that the, the Biden team is not getting access to information more than anything else. And given the fact that we're in the midst of a surging pandemic, which we'll get to in a minute here, I mean, that, that is a, this decision. And I, I would put this more on the, the president's team 
rather than, you know, poor Emily Murphy, uh, you know, who seems to be a technocrat who's just in a horrible, horrible place. This is a decision that, you know, and Joe Biden said this is costing lives. And maybe that seems like a dramatic way to put it. But it's also, I think, not an unreal, unreasonable way to put it. And there would be a way for, I think, President Trump to make relevant legal challenges and still allow for, you know, this sort of transition thing to go forward. But of course, absolutely. Yeah, no. And I I think that's, uh, you know, Republicans were, uh, you know, criticized heavily the the uh, the Clinton team um, uh, in 2000. Uh, and, and I think uh, fairly so. Um, and look, I'll, I'll criticize the Obama team in, in uh, uh, 2016 um, in terms of, of uh, you know, not wanting to brief Trump because they thought he was a Russian spy and sending the FBI to, uh, you know, try to get get dirt on his uh, uh, national security advisor. So I I. I I think, yeah, I, I agree with uh, most of the Republican senators who have said, no, nah, look, it's, you know, they ought to be getting the briefings. They ought to be getting the information. Um, Joe Biden is clearly someone who uh, I think has has high level security clearance that, you know, we don't have to worry about that sort of thing. Kamala Harris uh, is uh, already a member of the Senate Intelligence Committee. So uh, presumably she's getting that information uh, anyway. Um, so, no, I, I think that's that's absolutely Silly, and this is one of those things that I think undercuts uh, Trump. Um, in that uh, he he could say, "Look, I'm." Yeah, I, I guess I, I I don't see any I don't see any downside uh, for for Trump to go forward with these briefings, except that he would may see it as as some sort of um, uh, concession of yeah. defeat. Do, do you think it's problematic that Donald Trump seems to have ceased? operating as president of the United States for the most part during this period and and doesn't seem to be inclined to 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 do so um well I don't know yeah I mean that's sort of I mean right I mean you you sort of might might welcome that right um uh he's he's sort of checked out and the uh the things that you know we talked about this a couple weeks ago the things that uh he wasn't in charge of that kind of ran by themselves uh were the things that went really well um so, so maybe that's maybe that's okay, right? Um, uh, on on the other hand, um, maybe it also just feels like Trump is checked out because we're used to having Trump talking to us, you know, ten times a day, and and you know what I mean. So any sort of, uh, I mean, just bit of yeah, quiet. I mean, just, just looking at his looking at his public schedule and you know who he's meeting and his lack of engaging with seemingly anyone except for on this particular issue. I mean, he said, you know, I agreed with President Trump when he said, you know, I am I'm president of the United States to the last day of my term. And I said, well, yeah, you have a duty then to do your job, even if you are fighting for, you know, uh, uh, another four years in office, uh, you still have a job to do. And it seems to me that he's abdicated that responsibility, which doesn't surprise me at all. But is just another example, I think, if, if anyone needed more example of Donald Trump's complete and utter unfitness for the office of president of the United States. I, you know, I can't imagine they would at this point, but, but there you go. Well, I, like I said, I, I'm not sure exactly. I mean, the, the federal government is still, still seems to be working. Um, I'm not sure that, you know, you don't have a lot of uh, presidents uh, in, in lame duck who do a lot of, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think back to, um, 
the last one would have been uh, George H.W. Bush. Mm-hmm. Um, what did he do in the in the interim between uh, the election and um, the inauguration, Clinton's inauguration? Um, and I, I mean, nothing nothing jumps to mind. Um, but he also wasn't dealing with you know the the, the greatest national crisis since World War II. Yeah. I think that makes a difference. But, but, I mean, you? You know, but, but look, I think, you know, we've, we've talked about this a lot and actually we can, we can segue to that or next, our next story sure. um, is the, uh, the continued Corona virus crisis. Um, you know, cases have surged. Uh, we are now at uh, over 2 million a day uh, and the, the daily average. Um, uh, we've exceeded the 250,000 dead. Um, and states are taking various actions in terms of uh, shutdowns or or curtailing economic activity or putting in new restrictions. Um, and and you know yeah we're in, we're in the midst of that. Uh, at the same time, um, we have uh, one vaccine candidate uh, that was uh, submitted to FDA approval on Friday. Uh, another on the way. Um, and there is a potential that uh, vaccines could start being distributed uh, as early as next month. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's 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 bad news, but there's also glimmers of hope there. Um, and I'm not I'm not entirely sure what else the, the president, uh, you know, ought to do. Um, I mean, you could do the hortatory sort of stuff about, you know, get out, wear, wear a mask and. Um, you know, encourage people to be socially distant and do that kind of bully pulpit stuff. Stuff, and he so does, he does the opposite of that. Should be, yeah, he does. He does the opposite. Um, uh, and and you and I have disagreed on on how much. And again, maybe it's just because I don't I don't listen to Trump. So I, I again, like you said, I just assume that other people don't. You know, um, or or, or I shouldn't say I don't listen to him, but I don't. Uh, you don't take him as an authority who yeah, kind of directs yeah. how you live your life. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. Which, which again, um, that comes back to a, a very, very core conservative principle um, that, yeah, I, I live my life and I, you know, I don't, I don't care what the government says, Mike, um, <laughs> whether that's whether it's Donald Trump or, or Joe Biden, uh, you know, you make up your own mind. So, um but but that said, where where do you think uh, we're going on on coronavirus uh, next steps, and what uh, what should the federal government be doing if it's if it's that it's not doing now? Well, I think there are a number of things that they need to be doing, and there there are some pretty important protections that are going to uh, end at the end of this year. Now, I hope Congress will get its act together, and you know that uh, there could be as many as twelve million addition additional. Uh, Americans losing unemployment insurance by the end of the year. Uh, and that needs to be, I think, uh, reinstated or sorry, uh, extended. So I think at a minimum, you know, we should extend, for instance, that that pandemic unemployment assistance program until at least April, I would say, because that's just about the biggest bang for your buck you're likely to get in terms of stimulus and also, you know, the right thing to do for for millions and, and millions of Americans who are hurting the most from this. I also think they need to Congress needs to extend the eviction moratorium for at least the same length of time, though. Honestly, what I think we really need is more low-income renter assistance because if you extend the moratorium and don't have any funds there— You're, well, hurting, puts, you're hurting low-income landlords. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And 
Then I think we need to renew the Paycheck Protection Program to keep small businesses going as this, as this gets worse. You know, that ended back in August and things were looking a lot better then than they certainly do now. And there's actually there's actually a bill that was introduced, believe it or not, by I'll say this. I agree with Marco Rubio and Susan Collins. At the end of July, they they uh, submitted a standalone bill that would give $250 billion more for a second round of Paycheck Protection Program. And um, it's gone absolutely nowhere. I think we need to see some standalone bills get sent through here. And both parties stop this political gamesmanship of trying to get as much as they can in some sort of massive omnibus thing, because there are millions of Americans who are really hurting. And there are there are specific things that have bipartisan agreement that absolutely if they were put up for a vote would pass. And I find it just reprehensible that those things aren't happening. No, I, I would I would agree with you on, on most of the items you ticked off there. Um, uh, although I, I, I do want to push back a little bit on this the unemployment piece, because, um, you know, obviously in, in unemployment is uh, is handled by the states in most cases. Now, what we've got is there has been sort of federal extension, the federal additional benefits that have been uh, been added on. Um, so I, I think there's I, my, I guess my, my point is I wouldn't put this all on the feds. Um, no, but the states are in such a difficult position because, of course, states, you know, don't right. have the sort of borrowing and, yeah. with their. Yeah. Although um, the uh, unemployment numbers for Ohio just last month came back at about five and a half percent. Which is, uh, you know, higher than you'd want them to be, um, but uh, certainly not the fifteen percent they were uh, a couple months ago. Right. Um, so I, I think there's I think there's an argument to be made that that as you open up as we get the vaccine, um, you want more people seeking work and getting work and being able to. To, to go into jobs. I don't disagree um, so, with that. So I, I, I disagree with you on that, but, um, well, well, let me, before you move on to your second point, I, I don't, I, I don't disagree with you on that, but even in the most optimistic scenario, a significant number of Americans aren't going to get that vaccine. We're not going to be able to go back to right, anything close to normal until probably late spring, early summer. And we know for a fact that things are going to get worse because we have Thanksgiving right around the corner. Then we have Christmas and we know a whole bunch of Americans are going to get together. So right now things look worse in terms of cases and hospitalizations than they ever have. And they're just going to get worse still. And so we have to, we have to factor that in mind that this isn't going to just, you know, just because there's a virus or there's a vaccine, that's 95% effective. That's we're talking next summer at earliest before things can open up in the way. So things are going to get a lot worse and that money needs to get to the people who need it the most. And also where it provides the most stimulus, because for every dollar you spend on unemployment insurance, you get like something like a, a buck 61 or something like that, based on one study from Moody's in additional economic activity and that's what we need to then, see then why do any of us work well obviously it only works to a point jay and you understand that i mean you're making a facetious <laughs> right, point right. but, just, but when we talk about economic out. stimulus you know especially when things are being shut down to protect people's lives when we see this spike you're not you're not i'm, I'm sure you're not arguing that you know we should just have everything opening up and that sort of thing well, I, I think places that can open up safely should and should stay open because that's the that's the best route to uh, keeping everybody afloat 
Um, I, I absolutely agree with you on the uh, uh, payroll protection loans. I, I think that's that's a good policy, and that was extremely successful. I, I think you can say. Um, uh, and I, I do think these things are going to happen uh, now that the election's over. Um, you know, whether they happen in lame duck in December, whether they happen uh, very early January. Um, See, I, I and that's they- my concern, Jay, because when I when I look at the politics of this, I think Democrats are saying, you know, there's an outside chance. Uh, you know, I would say they may be saying uh, maybe not maybe not a, a good chance, but there's not an unreasonable chance that we could somehow manage to pick up both of these Georgia seats. And then all of a sudden we can go big or at least bigger on some of this stuff, because you still have to get some, you know, you have to get a few more conservative Democratic senators. But I think that those calculations that both sides are making are going to make it very difficult for anything to get through. And that's just, that's just a really depressing thing to me. Yeah, about but you, this. You, I mean, you could do, you could do both though, I think. Right. I mean, I, I think you can, uh, you could pass something in lame duck. And then uh, if the Democrats are successful in taking the Senate, can say, well, what we did back back then was was uh, wholly ineffective. Uh, uh, we need another three trillion or two trillion or whatever it's going to be. So, yeah, I, I don't. I, I get the idea that uh, sometimes you right. get a shot to do this once, but in this case, we've actually already done this sort of like two or three times. Yeah. Um, well, so, I, I, I hope you're right. I mean, also, we have a budget to pass, by the way. You know, I think we have a, the, the CR ends in sometime in mid-December. So maybe some targeted things get rolled into that in some way. I don't know, but I, I certainly hope that we get more than nothing. Yeah, I, I think there is I think there is enough uh, on on both sides that um, uh, that that something will get done. Now, I, I thought something would get done before the election and I was uh, I was incorrect. Um, no, you are right. A Supreme Court justice got confirmed. So that was the important yeah, thing. Well, I, was, I was right on that. Yeah. Um, so I guess the, the next piece, and this this ties into a little bit uh, uh, that because it relates to the Fed. Uh, Judy Shelton was a uh, Federal Reserve nominee uh, who did not procure enough votes in the Senate uh, to be appointed. Um, so this is uh, uh, something of a, a surprise, I think. But um, you know, she had some some pushback from Republicans. Uh, who were concerned that uh, she was perhaps a little too unorthodox uh, compared to the the uh, current uh, current Fed. So, um, what what are your your thoughts on uh, the Shelton nomination and why she got uh, uh, knocked out? Now, I should say it doesn't mean it's necessarily over. Um, they could they could try again. Um, and maybe you round up some more people and uh, uh, you know just just sort of. Uh, you know, make sure that um, you have all your ducks in a row first. Um, Big problem but, is, you know, Republican senators keep on getting COVID for some reason. I right, don't know. Right, right, yeah. You know, it's like a, it's like a political disease that targets Republicans. I don't know. It, uh, it must must be Venezuela that's doing it or something like that. Hugo Chavez invented yep. it in a lab with the Chinese to destroy Republicans or something. Anyway, um, no, I mean, I think if, if those two Republican senators had hadn't been out, with COVID, her nomination would have passed. And I think that's that's disturbing. You know, a lot of the focus has been on the fact that she is something of a gold bug, as they say. And that, but I think that's been overblown. Uh, I 
Certainly, she's out of the mainstream on that, but she sort of walked back some of those views. She's not calling for a return to the gold standard or anything like that, though. She's kind of made an argument about some of the, I guess you could say, some of uh, some of the issues potentially with fiat currency. Uh, I, you know, I think the economic mainstream clearly rejects those uses. But, but to me, what the more concerning thing is, is her views on the independence of the Federal Reserve. And, and that to me, you know, when she says, well, the Fed should pursue a more coordinated relationship with both Congress and the president, depending on how you take that in and of itself, say, well, okay, that seems reasonable, right? right. But everybody ought to get along and yeah, play nice together. Yeah. But then you kind of take a look at sort of her public statements and actions as a whole. And, you know, Obama's president and she hates low interest rates and all of a sudden Trump's president and she becomes a zero interest rate warrior. And so Donald Trump has a history of appointing people to, or trying to appoint people to the Fed who Either A, are completely unqualified, like Herman Cain, for instance, or people who seem to be willing to go along with what the president wants, maybe a little more than is traditional for the Fed. And so that's what concerns me. And I think that's what that's what should concern both Democrats and Republicans, not so much that gold view, but her views on her shaky views on the independence of the Fed. Because if I were a senator, I would. I would have a hard time voting to confirm anyone who even hinted that the Fed should somehow be beholden in any way to what the president or Congress wants. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you 100% on um, Fed independence. Um, so there, there's two questions there. One is the Fed independence. The other is what actually would be her, her view on, on monetary policy. And historically, you would say she is a, a, a not a um, um, Sort of new, uh, uh, new monetary uh, uh, monetarist. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, let's let's slash interest rates to zero or below. Um, mo modern monet monetary. Yeah, modern monetary policy. Yeah, is, is what I'm trying to yeah get out. It's this, it's been a rough week. Um, you know, but so I think it's almost that that is uh, an idea that people from both parties, I think, dislike. Um, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, again, theoretically, right? Conservative, you're more conservatives uh, ought to be more in favor of of tight money, or in, or at least a more um, activist, monstrous policy, right? Uh, sort of an Alan Greenspan type, um, a Paul Volcker uh, type type uh, view. Um, whereas uh, Democrats, I think it's it's always you know let's let's put more. Um, you know, it's it's pouring sugar into the economy, right? And and um, and, and Shelton was like that until she yeah. wasn't. And to me, well, the main thing I would look for in a Fed governor is someone who's very sort of stable and consistent. I don't know. To me, that's a pretty important a pretty important qualification. And then you add that with her saying uh, in October of this year. I don't see any reference to independence in the legislation that has defined the role of the Federal Reserve. Um. Well. Okay, maybe well, it's kind of it's kind of baked in, right? Yeah, that, it's, it's so the way they're appointed. Yeah, so that that I think what's most disturbing to me is the fact that had it not been for a couple COVID absences, she would have been confirmed, and she could still very well be confirmed. There was there. I'll tell you, no, there was there was still some some um, 
some pushback among other Republicans. Uh, yeah, but there were there were the votes. So, and I, I agree. No, I, I agree that look, you know, that yeah, but for COVID, probably. Um, and I guess I wonder if Senate Republicans think somehow that what they would be getting with Shelton would be worse than what say uh, uh, you know what president uh, what president that. You know, after January 20th, what President Biden would, the sort of person President Biden would nominate. Yeah. No, I think I think there's that. Yeah, I think that that plays into uh, whether they, they try to try this again. Um, so uh, anyway, with with that, I think we're we're probably just about out of time. Yeah. For a regular show. So you can do the closing stuff. All right. Well, you have that memorized and I sort of I would stumble through it. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, there were a couple of things that we really wanted to get to, but we will get to on the bonus show, like, for instance, the troop drawdowns in Afghanistan and Iraq. And also we're going to talk about student loan forgiveness because that's become a big issue on the left now with with Elizabeth Warren and Chuck Schumer wanting its trillion dollar uh, forgiveness and Joe Biden sort of pushing. Anyway, we'll get into that and then maybe take some and listener questions as well on the Patreon supporter show. And of course, that will be ready for you in your feed by the time you hear this. Well, no, it actually won't be. It'll be ready on Wednesday this week uh, in our Patreon supporter feed. And if you'd like to become a supporter, just go to patreon.com slash politics guys and sign up. And as always, if you can't afford to become a supporter, just email me, mike at politicsguys.com, and I will get you full access to all the stuff we put out. And that includes ad-free versions of everything, which is kind of a nice thing as well. Um, also, if you haven't already subscribed to the show, we would really appreciate it if you could. And leaving ratings and reviews, uh, sharing your favorite episodes is also incredibly helpful. So we'd appreciate that. If you want to get in touch with us for any reason, mail at politicsguys.com as well. And we're also on Twitter and Facebook. And we always put those links in the show notes. The executive producers of Politics Guys are Bruce Johnson, Wilma Moreno, Andre Masker, Daniel Toe, Chris Wilkerson, and Nathan Sudnowski. We'll be back with a new show next week. We hope you'll join us.